I am, I am pull, calling an audible today. I'm going to read a different passage of scripture and preach from that passage, uh, as well as the passage that was originally listed. So I'll be um, preaching from uh, Luke 14, and it is primarily the parable of the great, great banquet. And you'll see how this ties into the other, other uh, passage. I love the parables. I got to confess that they're just amazing. Uh, stories that Jesus told that get right to the heart, usually, of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to know God's grace. So the setting for this is Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house for a dinner, a Sabbath dinner. And the, the scripture tells us at the beginning of this chapter that he was invited not so much because they really welcomed him as a guest, but they were checking him out to see about his orthodoxy as a teacher. Uh, and the Pharisees, of course, were those people, the religious leaders of the time, very intent on keeping the law. In fact, they devoted their whole lives to keeping uh, the religious law. They wanted to remain pure and different from the culture around them. So in many ways, good motivation that went awry, and we'll look at that uh, as we get, read this today. So here is the passage, chapter 14, uh, and I will begin at verse 7. This is kind of a long passage, so hang with me, okay? So, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table at this party, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. This is just good, um, wise counsel here. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to, the, to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, and here's the parable we're really going to focus on today. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But when they all alike began to make excuses, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his, this to his master. Then the owner of the house, who is God in this parable, became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this uh, somewhat confusing and difficult parable, but uh, we pray that today you will help us to understand it and see how it relates to our lives. And even more than that, we pray that uh, this will change our lives and help us to see ourselves more clearly and to help us see the kingdom of God more clearly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I went to school in Santa Barbara at UC Santa Barbara, and one of my jobs when I was there was working for a valet parking service. And so what we did is we primarily parked for these great parties, big parties in Santa Barbara. But most of the time, the parties were not in Santa Barbara, but in Montecito, which is this beautiful little town just south of Santa Barbara. It is a town, I have to tell you, that is full of millionaires and billionaires. Oprah lives there. Uh, Steve Martin lives there. And just recently, uh, Prince Harry <laughs> and Meghan moved into Montecito. So you get kind of a sense of what this town is like. It's this quaint little town full of huge estates. And so my job was to park cars at these parties. Pretty fun job for a 21, 22-year-old young man. I got to park Ferraris and Jags and Bentleys and Rolls Royces. And oftentimes, we had to park these cars quite a distance from the party. So we'd drive them for a little bit, and then we'd run back to the party and get another car. I have to tell you, these parties had very, um, very interesting guest lists, right? This was the upper crust of Southern California, the well-connected, the movers and the shakers, the people in a city, Santa Barbara, full of beautiful people. These were the most beautiful, impeccably dressed, uh, you could tell these person, these people, they were the upper crust. They definitely had to meet certain criteria to get to these parties. You know, things haven't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. This is exactly what was going on in our story for today. Jesus is invited to this party. And I have to tell you, it's kind of the same thing. The upper crust. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, 
They were well-respected in their community. And to devote yourself to the, and all the different religious laws that they adhered to, you had to be pretty wealthy just to have the time to do it. So these are kind of the upper crust of the society of today. So Jesus is invited to this party. And like I said before, it's not so much because he is one of them, but because they want to check him out to make sure that he is orthodox enough in his theology. They didn't know what to do with Jesus. They could tell that he spoke and he taught with an authority that we hear in other passages that they had never heard before, but boy, he was shaking things up. And this is what he does at this party. He sees people jostling for position to sit in the most important places, the seat of honor. And so he tells them, you know, when you throw a party, don't do that. He disrupts the party almost immediately. You got to know, Jesus was an interesting person, but he wasn't a very good party guest. (laughs) He kind of would just drop these bombs and mix things up a bit. And so he tells these guys, when you have a party, don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite your relatives. Just don't invite people that are like you. Now, there's some good news here. You know, if you don't like your relatives, you don't have to invite them to your parties anymore. But he says something really important here. And earth-shattering for these people. He's turning all religious and social norms, mores, upside down here by even suggesting that these people should invite the outcasts, the poor, the lame, the marginalized, that they should have anything to do with them was earth-shattering. But to invite them for a meal, it just wasn't done. There were very high walls at that time between the poor and the outcasts and what people considered sinners and the righteous. You see, these people that Jesus is saying invite these folks, they're not only socially inferior, but they're seen as immoral, as outsiders, as outside the reach of God's love. Because the theology of that time said this. It said, if you are poor and have some kind of disability or blind, it's because you sinned and God was punishing you. And you are outside the reach of God's love. Either that or your parents sinned. So the theology of that time said, wow, these are outcasts. They were considered, as we read in scripture, when we come across the term sinners, these are these people. They're unclean because they cannot keep the religious law. And if you had any association with them, that made you unclean. So if a religious person was walking down a street and a sinner was coming toward them, they would go to the other side of the street. That's how much they avoided them. 
So to eat a meal with these people? That's just not heard of. Because in the Middle East at that time, and even today, eating a meal with a person, you just don't share food. It's a sign that you accept the other person. It's a sign of, I want to be in relationship with you. Sign of total acceptance, of cementing the relationship. It's saying, you are an important person in my life. Just wasn't done between the religious insiders and the religious outsiders. So, when Jesus said this at this party, well, it didn't go over very well, as you can imagine. I imagine that when Jesus said these words, have you ever been to a party where somebody says something totally inappropriate? And there's this awkward silence, like, how are we going to respond to such an inappropriate comment? Well, I think that's it, right here. This is what's going on. And some, someone pipes in, just to break the tension, they say this, they go, well, I'm not so sure about uh, your ideas about inviting people to parties, but, oh, I do know this, that those who eat at the feast of the kingdom of God Oh, they will be blessed. Just kind of throws it out there. And Jesus can't resist this opportunity to talk about the great feast of the kingdom of God. You see, this is the messianic banquet that the Jews have been waiting for when the Messiah will come back and establish the kingdom of God. It's this great banquet that scripture talks about and which communion is a foretaste of when we will all gather from all the ends of the earth, from the east and the west and the north and the south, and we will feast at the kingdom of God. He's talking about what we usually refer to as heaven. And he tells them a parable. And it's not an easy parable to understand a parable, he says, in which a man throws this great party and he invites all the right people, the cream of the crop, the insiders, the important people of the community, all the people one would want to be seen with and who would feel comfortable together. And the day of the party arrives and the host tells the host, who is God, sends out his servants to go and tell everybody, we're having a party. Come. Everything's set. The decorations are up. The band is beginning to play. The caterer, caterers have the spread all laid out. We're ready. But here's one of the surprises. He sends out this Evite and the A-list. They all politely, and it's really interesting, all very politely decline. Pretty lame excuses. One has to close a real estate deal, check out land he's already bought. Another has to buy livestock. Another just got married. The, the excuses continues on, and it's, this parable says the host is absolutely furious. And here comes the surprise of the parable. Now, 
The surprise of parables usually unlocked the meaning. Every parable has a surprise. And here's the surprise. Forget my friends. Forget the A-list. Go out again and invite anyone you can find. The poor, the lame, the blind, the homeless, the religious outsiders. Search the back alleys. Look under the freeways. Look under the bridges. Go to the shelters. Go to the dive bars. Invite anybody you can find. And have them come. We're going to party no matter what. And so all these people come. Now listen here closely for a second. Because I think this is one of the most beautiful scenes in all scripture. People who woke up that morning wondering if they were going to eat that day are all of a sudden feasting on filet mignon (laughs) and drinking the best of wine, munching on great hors d'oeuvres. And instead of trying to sleep on a park bench, they're dancing till midnight (laughs) to this great band in a beautiful mansion. And instead of parking Mercedes and Jags and Beamers, the valets are parking shopping carts full of one's belongings. Man, they are having the time of their lives. You know, it's funny. A number of years ago, I read, maybe you read the same story about a couple who were going to get married, and then at the last minute, they canceled their wedding, but they still had to pay for the reception. It was this beautiful reception at the best hotel in town. And so instead of canceling it, the bride said, you know what? I'm going to invite the homeless. That's kind of the scene here, is what Jesus is talking about. And it's quite a picture, isn't it? Now, what in the world does this mean? (laughs) What a crazy story. What is this a picture of? It's a picture, beautiful picture, of God's grace. Just pure, unadulterated, 100 proof grace. This is a picture of what heaven's going to look like. And the people who are dancing, and the people who are celebrating don't really deserve to go to this party. But why are they there? Because they say yes to the invitation. It's a total gift. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is directing this parable to the Pharisees, the insiders, the religious types who are rejecting him as the Messiah and are very sure of their own certain standing before God and their attendance at the heavenly banquet. They think we're already in. And Jesus rocks their world by giving them some really surprising news. 
He said, you know, those of you who thought your ticket to heaven, to the heavenly banquet, was already punched because of your good works and your religion and respectability and social status, you know what? You're not going to be there. And all those sinners and outcasts who you thought were beyond the reach of God's love, you know what? They're going to party till midnight because they have accepted the invitation to grace. Wow. It's a pretty shocking story, isn't it? Pretty shocking parable. Everything is turned upside down and inside out. And all the outsiders will be in, and all the insiders will be out. The winners end up being losers, and the losers are the winners. This is the kingdom of God. It's often called the upside-down kingdom because Jesus takes what you think and most of us think and he turns it upside-down. And that's what grace does. It's hard to understand. It's pure gospel. It's the good news. And the message here is we don't get to the heavenly banquet. We don't get into the kingdom of God because we're good, respectable people. We don't get into heaven because we're religious. We don't get into heaven even by going to church every Sunday. You know, a couple weeks ago, I officiated a wedding, and I was talking to somebody at the wedding, and he was telling me kind of his theology. And his theology was, you know, I've read the Bible, I've looked at a lot of different things, I've thought about this, And really what I think is it's all about being a good person and doing the right things. And I didn't say anything because, you know, it wasn't the time to really get into a theological discussion. And I wanted to say, no, that's really not what it's about. Which is shocking to us. Because the Pharisees were doing all the right things. They had turned religion into this performance-based thing where it really was how well you could keep all the rules and they were missing the whole thing. They didn't know the love of God. They didn't know intimacy with God. They didn't accept God's grace. And see, this is why we get into heaven. This is how we know God is because we have a God who is so full of love, so full of grace, that God will go out and scour the streets and alleys and look for the lost and the least and the left out. We get into heaven because we have a God who invites outsiders to invite, to enjoy an eternal party with him. Really interesting. God throws a party, And when he does, he doesn't invite people according to their social status or their accomplishments, their wealth, their good looks, their good works, religiosity. God looks beyond all those things. And God says, it's a come-as-you-are party. 
Just bring yourself. Nothing fancy. Just got to bring yourself. And here's the most important message of this parable. We get to the party by saying yes to grace. We have to say yes, and we have to be hungry for God's love. You know, this is where the passage I was going to preach on comes in. Jesus calls Levi, who is a tax collector, the worst of sinners, despised in that culture, the bottom of the ladder. And the Pharisees, again, are muttering about, doesn't he know who this person is? And Levi is so excited that Jesus has invited him, he throws a party. And who comes? Well, all his friends, all the other tax collectors. (laughs) And Jesus goes to this party. And the Pharisees are upset. Doesn't he know who he's eating a meal with? And this is what Jesus says. He says, I am inviting those who see a need for me and my grace in their life. I have come for those who are hungry. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, this is the problem with the Pharisees. They were really religious, but they saw no need for God in their lives. They thought they were doing just fine. They were doing all the right things, not doing the wrong things, but they weren't hungry. You know, Jesus once said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who see their need for God, for they will be blessed. Really powerful parable. And how does it relate to us? Well, what it says is, what Jesus looks at is the heart. And whether we're hungry to know God's love. And whether we see a need for God in our lives. And when we begin to do that, that's when we experience the love of God, the power of God. That's why I often say, wow, some of the people that I have met who most know the love and the power of God in their lives are people who have gone through 12-step programs. Because what's the first step? I think the first step is admit that you have a need and that you need God in your life. You know, I want to close with two stories. You know, one of the most profound experiences in my life was serving as a chaplain at Trenton State Psychiatric Hospital in New Jersey. This is one part of my pastoral training Uh, to serve in some kind of clinical setting. And so Trenton State is this huge, old mental institution that was built at a time when we would house our mentally ill. Now we don't so much. But there were still on this huge campus, huge rock, beautiful rock campus, which has actually been in a lot of movies, there were still a number of patients. And one of the halls that I was a chaplain to, was the incarcerated people. I had some famous people on this hall, people who had committed heinous crimes and were nationally known. And so this was my 
congregation. And every Sunday, we'd have a, a little worship service, short, in the chapel, which was really just kind of the end of a hall. And I would preach, and this will tell you how bad the service was, I would lead singing, which you haven't heard me sing yet, but not good. Very simple, um, not very slick. We would say some prayers together, read some scripture, sing songs. I'd give a short emphasis on short sermon. And then we'd have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And we did it just like we usually do at this church with intinction people coming forward and receiving from the pastor the bread and the cup. And I always told them if they wanted prayer for something, that I'd be happy to take time before giving them the elements to pray for them. And you know what was so interesting about this group is they always wanted prayer. They were not shy about talking about their need for God's grace in their life. These were people who had suffered terribly prostitutes and drug addicts and murderers and rapists and thieves, you name it. They were in my congregation. And they were hungry people. Their hunger for God's grace and forgiveness, for hope and healing and love, for the burdens to be lifted off their shoulders. Wow, it was just so apparent. And they did not put on masks. <laughs> they were just out there. And so I would pray for them. And it would, that would take time, even though it wasn't a large service. You know, at the same time I was serving at this church, I was also attending seminary at Princeton Theological Seminary. And Princeton is not that far from Trenton, but, oh, if you've ever been there, it's a world away, right? Princeton has this beautiful old colonial-style chapel right in the middle of a beautiful, gorgeous campus that this huge endowment <laughs> keeps beautiful. And every Friday, we would gather for worship and for communion. The same way, coming forward to receive the grace of God. And I have to tell you, it was a very different experience. Talk about religious insiders. <laughs> Bunch of people preparing to be pastors or to teach theology. Lots of bright students. Many who had grown up in very nice families, upper class, gone to the best prep schools, best colleges in the country. Pretty put together people, you would think at least from the outside. And yet they were really not that different from the people at Trenton State. Once you got to know them, they were hungry. Whether they admitted it or not, hungry for God's presence, hungry for God's love. Some were very lonely. Hungry for God's guidance and power in their lives. 
but maybe not so readily able to admit it. You see, friends, here's my point today. What I'm trying to say is we all need God's grace in our lives. We all need to say yes. There's not a person here this morning, whether you realize it or not, who need God's grace in their life. Sometimes we're aware of our hunger, sometimes we aren't. But we're all needy. We all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's grace. And so Jesus invites us. He invites us to the party. And he says, come as you are. Amen. God, we thank you for this amazing parable. What it tells us about ourselves and about your kingdom and about your great love for us. And God, we admit, I admit this morning that often... I forget who I really am. And that I am a sinner in need of your grace and your love and your forgiveness and your new life. God, may we be a congregation who is able to admit our need to you and to each other so that we may begin to really experience the power of your grace in our lives.